Now the reality is that I think companies realize that building a, a solution in-house, a payment solution in-house is super complex. And um, before you launch and go live with your own payment platform, you're already outdated again because the innovation is going so fast. And I think that it's fair to say that it's easier to more or less buy than build. You're listening to Leaders in Payments and Fintech, a podcast brought to you by Edgar Dunn & Company, the global payments and fintech consulting firm. Coming to you from the City of London, I'm your host, Martin Kodrish. And in this series, I'm meeting with leaders and practitioners across the industry to find out what it takes to bridge the gap between strategy and execution. My central question is, how can we commercialize and bring the benefits of ever deeper new technology to market in what continues to be a highly regulated industry? If you enjoy these interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. So enough of the intro, let's get straight into today's episode. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by Wilco Slabacorn, who is SVP of Revenue Growth and Head of Commercial for Europe at Checkout.com. As most of you payment insiders no doubt know, Checkout.com is another incredible fintech success story. Started back in 2012 by founder and CEO Guillaume Pouzat, it has grown and grown and now has well over 1,700 employees across 19 global offices. The Checkout.com growth story really is a testament to the global boom in modern payment technology able to satisfy our appetite for digital payments experiences. In our conversation, we discuss the relentless growth and pace of change in the digital payments and fintech space, and Wilco shares his insights based on many years of experience partnering with merchants to help leverage modern payments technology, drive growth, and transform end-to-end customer journeys. So I do hope you enjoy this conversation with Wilco Slavikorn from Checkout.com. Let's get started. This morning, I'm excited to welcome Wilco Slavikorn to the podcast. So how are you doing, Wilco? I'm very well, uh, Martin. Thank you very much. So it would be great to start off with a little bit about yourself, and then we can dive into the conversation. Exactly. So um, I just uh, go a little bit back. So I'm in this uh, in the payments industry for uh, for more than uh, 15 years. I've seen uh, quite a lot of uh, uh, things in payments evolving. So started my payments career uh, at WorldPay, where I ran the EMEA business for retail, um, and then uh, moved to, to be a PL provider called Afterpay, owned by the Avato Bertelsmann Group, now called Riverty. Then moved uh, for a, a very interesting project uh, to run the retail business on behalf of Nets, later Nexi Group. And recently, so recently in July last year, joined Checkout. My, um, my, my responsibility is um, the entire commercial org for, uh, for Checkout in Europe. And that means basically uh, uh, coaching and, and helping our new business teams as well as our relationship management teams or our customer support and our customer support basically as well as um, our our team looking after solution engineering and implementation management and then last but not least uh, our strategic partnership so um, quite uh, quite a broad role uh, with uh, with a big team and a lot of responsibility and especially in today's world you know with with all the changes we see from a regulatory perspective from a ambition perspective in the, in the, in the merchant landscape. I think, uh, it's a fantastic, fascinating role. We, uh, we are, um, we're innovating a lot. We bring and launch a lot of services and, and new products to the market. And, um, 
you know, the company is super young. It's only 12 years old. But if you see how uh, the company has been able to grow in the past years and also, uh, you know, have a very close connection and do a lot in co-development with our merchant landscape and, and also look at the market and have still the agility, although size, uh, to uh, to act what is going on in the market. I think uh, yeah, it's a very exciting role. Fantastic. No, absolutely. A lot of admiration for Checkout.com and what's been achieved over those that short period of time. Um, now, I believe uh, Europe's most valuable fintech, I think uh, is correct to say, right? Yeah, uh, exactly. So, you know, and, 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 and obviously uh, we need to take into consideration that the world looks a bit different from a valuation perspective. Uh, if you compare that to, uh, let's say, uh, a year, two years ago, but I think uh, our companies in, we are in a very, very good position. We work hard uh, on, on one hand, you know, uh, uh, long-term vision. We look on, we look at uh, investing our money wisely. At the same time, we grow, uh, we grow fast, and we do the right things. And uh, also, when you look at, you know, um, the FTE frameworks or the people working for us, I think. We uh, we we invest wisely, and uh, and that's uh, and that's going very well. Okay, great. So today we want to talk about what you're seeing across the payments landscape, uh, and share some insights and tips in terms of how how merchants and retailers might might grow their business. You know, uh, let, let's start a little bit high level. So yeah. what what I see is that more and more merchants, wherever they might be in in which sector, uh, try to have more control over their consumers. In other words, they want to increase loyalty. They want to have, a, you know, closer connection to their to their consumers, and that means that you see that they explore also all different kinds of channels whereby they uh, get in touch with uh, with their consumers. That could be via subscription models, that could be via marketplaces, that could be uh, via their own uh, payment infrastructure. In other words. Uh, they could potentially, and that's what we start to see more and more, uh, is that um, a, a lot of merchants, ex especially of a certain size in enterprise, start to explore their uh, also their ability to obtain their own payment licenses in order to have more control over their consumers, more control over their UX, maybe come up with a, an own wallet, etc. So that's more holistically what I start to see more and more. Also, uh, you know, merchants are looking also outside of their own sector. So uh, see what is going on in the gaming industry, see what's going on in the in the gambling industry, see what's going on in, in, in digital as such. So we see more and more also companies in more traditional sectors like retail moving into you know, what is going on in, in, other, in other sectors. That's very interesting. We also see that more and more companies uh, yeah, work very global, right? Uh, the pandemic has also learned us that uh, mm -hmm. that cross-border trading obviously comes with a lot of complexity when it comes to currencies, when it comes to uh, everything which is treasury services and taxes on one hand. On the other hand, your market uh, grows exponentially when you when you trade cross-border. Now, if you if you look at that from a, from from a payments perspective, then you obviously need to be much much closer to your consumer. I understand much more how people pay in certain regions um, and what you can do as a merchant in order to drive that loyalty with the right payment mix, but also with the right 
you know, services um, you want to ask your uh, payment provider to uh, to provide to you. Yeah. So, is it sort of fair to say that perhaps the 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 mindset has shifted? I mean, um, to view payments and more broadly fintech as a as a growth driver, right? So, yeah. um, um, you know, as opposed to perhaps in the past, it was seen perhaps as a cost center, payment acceptance, something to 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 reduce the costs, etc. But now it really is being used and leveraged to drive real growth in the core business of the of the merchant or retailer. Yeah, exactly. And in the past couple of years, uh, payments has become more and more of a, a theme in the boardroom. I think that's very right. important. It touches also all the different aspects of the value chain of the merchant, whether that is a consumer acquisition or whether that's consumer loyalty, but also in all the different kinds of stages in, 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 the, in the customer journey, it's extremely important, you know? So I think, first of all, it has become more and more of a theme. Second of all, um, it's, of course, a great conversion driver. Mm. Um, and with payments, you can lock in also your consumers because payments as a, you know, as, as a simple data set can be used in order as a unique identifier to follow your consumers much easier right. in the process. If you add that payments data to CRM, uh, then uh, you can do a lot of very interesting things with, with, uh, with your, uh, with your uh, customer loyalty aspect, I would say. And that starts to become more important. I remember, uh, you know, a decade ago, we were still in the very dusty basements of, uh, of, the, of, of our merchants. I, I, I remember meetings in Madrid uh, with very large uh, retail merchants, and then we were literally sitting in, in you know, still a, a lot of paper-driven uh, finance departments, treasury departments. Mm. Now, you know, if you walk in now uh, in a, uh, into a company where they have dedicated payment teams with payment expertise, with fraud experts, with, with, with UX experts when it comes to the checkout, it's, it's a totally different ballgame. Um, I mean, what kind of merchant is getting more involved? I mean, if, we, if we're basically kind of saying that uh, across the landscape, there's this trend that's been ongoing for a while, but it's continuing to get more involved, more use payments to get closer to the customer, to, to leverage that data insight that you've mentioned, uh, automate wherever possible. But what kind of merchant or segment, or how do you see who's getting, who's driving, who's moving more quickly? Or um, is, it, is it a function of size or sophistication or, or, or segment or market? You know, I think um, overall we see a lot of uh, payment facilitators now uh, starting to gain traction and that's not really, uh, you know, related to geography or, 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 or where they provide services. So we see a lot of activities popping up in, you know, from, from actually Switzerland to, uh, to Eastern Europe, to the UK, obviously, et cetera. So we see a lot of these fintech players and these fintech players drive also, um, I would say, a lot of innovation in, in retail, in airlines, in travel with online tra travel agencies, which is, I think, also for various reasons with, with all different kinds of virtual setups, very important, uh, uh, large, large, um, you know, uh, hotel groups, uh, are more and more looking into how can they set up, um, on one end, uh, hotels and pay out hotels and also, you know, have more control over, uh, over their consumers and, and let also consumers be, uh, coming back and be recurring, uh, visitors of the hotel. So we see there a lot of action, see a lot of action in the airline industry, although of course airlines 
are still, uh, you know, uh, they're still uh, struggling a little bit from a, from a legacy perspective. They have complex systems. Um, so I think that the fastest runners in this industry are companies uh, who are now looking also at the, the subscription uh, uh, economy. They're looking at the marketplace economy and have also the ability to um, um, interface their systems to those marketplace providers or, or, or to those subscription billing providers. And, you know, whatever, whatever sector you're in, I think um, how you're being set up, if, 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 if you also have a, an innovative mindset, I think, and, and also have an innovative culture, then, uh, then you see a lot of uh, companies moving that way. But just uh, to mention a few also more traditional uh, retailers, for example, in mm. Germany, we see uh, Rewe, which is a very large uh, supermarket chain with all different kinds of additional uh, uh, companies underneath the group with their own payments institution. Uh, Otto Group in Germany, very traditional large retailer also with uh, you know, their, their auto payments. Uh, we see ASOS in the UK with their ASOS payments company. So they start their own companies yeah. um, uh, uh, with, with regulations in a certain market. So they comply with uh, regula uh, regulatory bodies like FCA or DMB in the Netherlands or uh, BaFin in Germany. And then from there, can also navigate more closely towards their consumers. Um, and I think that's, that's a long answer, but uh, uh, it's not necessarily the different sectors. It's more how innovative you want to be as a, as a merchant and how innovative can you be as a merchant? Because if you still run all of your old legacy platforms and you have still a fairly traditional set of payment providers, then are they able to board submerchants? Do they have the legal framework in place in order to, you know, uh, provide you with, with, with subscription billing? Are they, uh, you know, th th those types of things are very interesting to, uh, to see. And the winners currently are the companies who are able to, um, to connect to those types of new business models. Yeah, that's interesting. So, okay, on the one hand, we have the startups, you know, the, 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 the fintechs, what have you. Obviously, they're very agile and moving very quickly. But you also mentioned some traditional players who are making that transformation, right? So, uh, successfully. Um, yeah. and you kind of hinted there's some kind of best practice there around or emerging best practices around setting up a subsidiary, yeah. right? Um, yeah, so what they basically do is... Um, um, and, and I've been following those trajectories with, with a few of our customers, clients, or, or, or re com very good contacts in the past, they, 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 they basically establish a different a PLC or whatever, you know, BV in the Netherlands or, uh, or whatever, gay and uh, so legal entity, which is yep. separate from uh, the core group, uh, where, where they, where they um, more or less connect to uh, a local financial body and then, um, more or less obtain their license, their local financial uh, uh, payment institution license, basically. Um, that, that is a long trajectory that, that takes sometimes one and a half to two years even to mm. comply with all the rules, regulations of that either FCA or DMB or BAFIN or whatever um, uh, financial authority in whatever market the merchant is in or wants to, uh, to be in. And we see also you know, uh, more, more and more companies registered 
in in areas where they have a, a bit of a lighter uh, compliance process or mm. regulatory process, like maybe Luxembourg or Liechtenstein, or we see uh, Cyprus or we see other regions, maybe in EC Europe. Um, but but I've, I've followed uh, quite a lot of the, these trajectories uh, for, for traditional retailers primarily, and then yeah, they 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 write their their program they which complies them with uh, with all the regulations from from the from the local uh, authorities, and then they can start thinking to maybe model uh, their own payment uh, licenses and their their own payment product even, uh, and they can. Uh, provide far more services to their consumers when it comes to embedded finance, maybe, you know, uh, uh, open invoice type of solutions, et cetera. Right. So very interesting. And um, I mean, also, are you, what are you seeing in terms of the choices being made with regards to building in-house solutions internally versus partnering with a strong external partner, for example? Yeah. You know, interesting. That's an interesting question. And I would have uh, responded to that question um, um, differently uh, one and a half, maybe two years ago. Now the reality is that um, I think companies realize, especially our merchant landscape realizes, that it's maybe handier to insource expertise from a set of providers. Building a, a solution in-house, a payment solution in-house is super complex. And um, before you launch and go live with your own payment platform, you're already outdated again because the you know the the inno innovation is going so fast. Um, if you want to comply with all regulation with PCI compliance, etc., then uh, you know that that requires a lot of investment, a lot of time and money. Uh, and I think that um, it's still fair to say that it's easier to uh, more or less um, uh, buy than build. Mm. Okay, it's interesting. So, what you 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 mentioned there about the, the technical obsolescence or the technical debt that builds up if you attempt to build in house, for example, there's a risk that happens, um, and um, you can you can go to market more quickly. I mean, the speed to market, I suppose, is with with a strong partner is is also yeah. a benefit. Would you yeah, say? Yeah, you know, and 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 what we see, um, and and I see personally, not not necessarily from a checkout perspective, but more broadly, is that more and more merchants also want to have the flexibility on one end via payment orchestration, for example, right. that they have a set of providers where they where they constantly more or less, you know, do uh, benchmarks on costs, on performance, on acceptance rates, on, on everything which is related to conversion. And they, they more or less load balance with their payment orchestration what is uh, the best set of payment providers? Because the reality is, and uh, um, you know, I have been in my career mostly focused on enterprise merchants. The reality is that most of the enterprise merchants have uh, a multi-provider strategy. Right. You know, They're and that already is already kind of orchestrating. They've been orchestrating yeah. for a while, right? I mean, it's nothing necessarily, no. necessarily a new concept, but exactly. And, and, you know, um, it's fair to say that uh, they do that for, for various reasons. They do that, first of all, you know, uh, to have a continuous, uh, a competitive set of, of, of providers. So, mm. um, uh, you know, they don't rely on one provider only, and they can also, you know, uh, play a bit of the competitive game from a, from a com commercial proposition perspective. That's one. Two, um, they continuously challenge their providers to bring innovation. 
Um, so, you know, if you only have one provider and one relationship and you don't look outside of that relationship, then you can't really drive innovation together with your partners. The yeah. push uh, to, to, to multiple providers is, of course, uh, you know, the, uh, broader and more rich when you, uh, when you are in that situation. But it's also um, to not put your eggs in one basket from a stability and performance perspective. We all know that in payments, things can happen from a technology standpoint. And um, you don't want to uh, go down with your single provider and then not have the ability to process transactions. Or maybe you have all different kinds of queues and waiting lines or whatever. That counterparty risk, right? So the, so the, yeah. the single point of failure. Um, I mean, on the point of orchestration, um, I mean, how far do you think as a concept it can go uh, beyond payment orchestration? How do we end up with orchestration, do you think? Yeah, you know, uh, um, I think that it moves uh, also uh, along the lines of the the speed of expansion when it comes to payment types. Mm-hmm. So we see more and more of these payment types popping up. But for, you know... Um, the, the 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 regular set of payment providers it's very very difficult to keep up with uh, you know uh, having all these payment types available all the time payment orchestration providers um that that that's their uh, you know that that's their forte to have the ability and the flexibility to connect to all the all of these different providers whether it's apm providers acquirers payment gateways and i think um, um, that that's where we move into more and more uh, also, mm-hmm. from an orchestration perspective, I think optimization, uh, I think analytics will will remain extremely important, more important, uh, uh, even uh, uh, mid and longer term. So that payment orchestration concept as such will remain, uh, not necessarily only from uh, you know expansion of payment types as such, but also uh, to me- to measure performance continuously to see. Uh, how your provider set performs uh, against each other, even um, so, uh, so. So there's much more room uh, for that uh, for the payment orchestration area. I think. And uh, on the topic of data and analytics and insights, uh, do you want to just expand on that point? I mean, I find it very interesting. I, you know, certainly the, the the idea of using payment data to to generate um, customer insights, for example, has been around for, for a while. I mean. Do you, again, are you, across the landscape, are you seeing this pick, picking up in terms of merchants going down that route? Oh, for sure. And already for a long time. And mm. and they um, they look at their segment and they look at the consumer set. So the age groups, they look at uh, how people actually, uh, uh, the, the consumer behavior and associated payment behavior in a certain market, in a certain age group, in a certain you know, uh, a, a consumer loyalty group. And more and more merchants also understand that on one hand, you have you need to have that critical mass of payment types. And then per market, you need to see what is the logical mix uh, on one end. So you, you want to act as international as you can with your payment mix. So you have your cards, you have your PayPal, you have your, you know, the Karnas and the, and the, mm. and the BMPL providers of this world. We also need to look into you know, specifics of certain markets like P24 Blick in, in Poland uh, or, or, or other payment types uh, in other markets, which are then very dominant in such a market. So I think um, that that has been going on for uh, for a while. 
Now, uh, as I said already in my introduction, we see more and more merchants also moving into uh, the marketplace space uh, just to open up new channels and also give the opportunity to um, sub-merchants in their ecosystem to sell to consumers uh, and also even uh, provide customer-to-customer uh, -customer, uh, access to the marketplaces. Uh, and also create for submerchants all different kinds of, you know, uh, more or less shop-in-shop -shop, uh, uh, experiences, uh, which helps the merchant to sell more. Uh, and then, uh, as I said, the, the subscription uh, subscription area where different payment types are interesting, like the SEPAs and uh, and whatever else, right? So, uh, so yeah, that's the shop-in-shop uh, that, uh, concept. Uh... Uh, is interesting, isn't it? The whole convergence of channels, um, yeah, of a tr true sort of omni-channel experience, but shop in shop in particular. So, um, uh, and I think that's obviously been accelerated by by COVID. Um, what, what else are you seeing in that space? Is that uh, again, is a particular categories uh, that are really yeah moving yeah, more than others? Yeah, yeah. I I, I think um, uh, most of the merchants in retail, for example, have obviously seen uh, a huge impact by. Uh, the necessity of closing their physical stores uh, in in during COVID, and we're looking for uh, alternative channels in order to uh, access their consumer landscape. Now um, they they've done that to invest heavily in their e-com channels, so direct to consumer. We see a lot of uh, merchants in the past two years building out their e-commerce channel. Um, more countries different consumer groups, different products. So we've seen that growing fast. And then um, uh, more and more merchants have also seen all these different business models, obviously. Uh, and now that um, physical locations are opening up again, and of course that has been going on already for a while. Uh, so Europe is, is fully open again. Um, I think uh, it's also interesting because you see more and more digital coming into the mm. physical location. Eh? Right. I'm not talking only QR coding, but it's also, you know, if you walk into, and I think cosmetics is a very interesting area because uh, they've, they, they, they had, had always a lot of innovation, but if you walk into, you know, a, a, a cosmetic chain like Sephora or Douglas in Germany or some others, you see that there's so much uh, uh, digital uh, uh, and physical blurring. Yeah, uh, you see a lot of kiosks. You see a lot of uh, you know scanning capabilities. You see a lot of uh, uh, connection with the customer whilst they use their phone. It's ve it's very it's all based on consumer experience. It's all based around consumer convenience in store mm. whilst they shop as if they uh, shop online. You know, so right. that's a very interesting process. Um, and um, and I, I'm I'm personally very appealed by the fact that, um, you know, a lot of these retailers, specifically retailers, but also other other merchant groups are thinking more and more about, okay, how, how can I also prepare myself for the future? Because the new consumers of today are not necessarily the new consumers uh, of, of, of a few, in a few years time. And I see that especially you know, the, the generation who's now 12, 15, 16, 20 years old, they start their consumer journey in a totally different way. You know, they, uh, they use 
They use the socials, uh, the, the, they use TikTok, they use Instagram, they use Snapchat. And from there, they start their, their customer experience, their, their buying, uh, their buying cycle, their buying process. Then they go to maybe Pinterest or they go to Google. And from there, they, you know, they, they shop and then they see either where they can go to a physical location to buy something they saw from an influencer or whomever. And then, uh, or they go online and then they buy something online with their parents' card or with their own card or maybe a BMPL, uh, uh, payment type, et cetera. So it's, it's very interesting to see where, um, where a lot of companies go and also how they prepare for the future, right? Yeah, that's interesting. There's a lot of innovation on the supply side, like you mentioned, we've spoken about a lot. And now obviously great segue onto the demand side, you know, how are those customers actually, I mean, are those merchants supplying innovation for innovation's sake or actually it's responding to an insight about their customer base? When you mentioned uh, Sephora yeah. and, and the others, you know, is that and the innovation they're pushing um, is that a, do you see that as a response to something they, you know, their, their, their specific customers that they're, they're addressing? I, I, I think, um, I think for sure. I think they prepare, um, for, for that specific consumer group, but that the reality is also that, you know, the, the consumers, uh, especially in cosmetics in this, in this case, uh, don't necessarily follow a brand anymore, but, but follow a person and that person supporting the brand. But that age group is a young age group. So then you need to, from a payments perspective, clearly understand how do these kids or young adults buy, you know, and, and what sort of payment types do they use? Now in the group 20 plus, there's a high usage of a BMPL uh, payment type. In the case of uh, children uh, under the uh, the adult age, you know, so the teenagers, et cetera, they use cards of their parents, et cetera. So you, it's mm. funny to see that in that younger age group, you still see quite some premium credit cards, for example, because oh, it's really? an Amex or a, you know a premium card for platinum card from from parents or whatever. Uh, when, when you talk luxury, um, and when you uh, and when you see that younger age group, they 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 try to find ways to uh, to use their own uh, their own payment types, uh, and and you know the the next step is of course gamification within mm -hmm. the retail space. Um, uh, the next step is maybe to see uh, whether you can, uh, and, and that's more and more retailers who started that to accept uh, all different kinds of digital currencies mm -hmm. uh, because, because uh, young adults or kids use that already in their, in their game environments. Why not use those types of currencies also in, in a retail space, for example? Yeah. In the gaming world is, um, it is a huge business, obviously, gaming, online gaming. It's just not to be uh, underestimated how huge it is and how massively influential it is uh, for, for, for youngsters. Um, and you're right. I mean, it's, it's all about virtual currencies there. And that, I think that's just going to continue growing. And you can see how, you know, very soon those virtual currencies will be blockchain enabled, potentially, you know, and, and suddenly there is, there is scope for crypto to creep into the mainstream almost. So, yeah. You know. Yeah, exactly. And, and I think, um, you know, the, the fact that we start to see more and more of this gamification coming into the, the buying journey, uh, uh, and, and also more and more, you know, um, uh, traditional merchants prepare for what's coming. So that new consumer group, um, I think that's, uh, that's very interesting to follow. And 
And, and then as a merchant, you also need to think about, do you have the right set of payment providers who can also easily adapt to that right. consumer, consumer, uh, you know, uh, intention and also consumer behavior, because, um, there are also a lot of traditional payment providers, uh, who not necessarily have the agility to, to add payment types to, to the mix fast, you know, and you need to be fast because mm. consumer groups are going super fast as well. I think, right. I think that's, uh, that's the time to live, uh, towards your consumers that, that becomes very, very critical. Right. Absolutely. Yeah, I totally agree. So, um, yeah, disruption continues, right? I mean, if you want to characterize all this change and ongoing change in consumer behavior, driving the innovation, the appetite for that innovation as, as disruption, it's just going to continue. Yeah. All right. Yeah. And, 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 and then we have a few things to keep in the back of our yeah. minds and, and I fully agree with you. Um, so we see all these neo banks popping up because uh, consumers don't find themselves in a good place with traditional banks anymore. So they want to uh, do their banking services via neo banks. So we start to see po them popping up everywhere. Uh, th then there's, of course, you know, the open banking space, very, very, very fast growing. Then, we, but, but we also see more and more regulation popping up. And I think that's also an area to really be mindful of. Mm. You can add all these different new payment types. You can work with neo banks. You can work with uh, all different kinds of open banking type of solutions, BMPL providers, etc. We also need to be mindful um, as a merchant uh, what uh, regulations are coming your way. Yeah. We, of course, know that card schemes, uh, you know, they're very heavily regulated, but, but that will also move into other spaces like open banking, like, like BMPL, like any, uh, you know, other payment types. And also there, you need to be mindful um, that that space is going super, super fast. Mm. And, uh, and uh, yeah, and, and if you want to have everything in the house, that's great. But I always, always recommend to have a very lively conversation with the provider landscape in order to educate yourself continuously. Right. Makes sense. Absolutely. I mean, I, you know, one of the themes of this podcast is commercializing technology in a highly yeah. regulated financial services market. So, yeah. um, it's a, it's, it is a challenge. There's a yeah. lot of innovation, a lot of ever deeper technology, AI, et cetera, which, which can be leveraged, um, for, for commercial gain, but uh, you have to do it within the context of, of, of a hev heavily regulated market, which is a, presents enormous yeah, challenges. Yeah, exactly. That's one. Two, uh, is your company ready for all that innovation? And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, because, because you, you can have the ambition to follow whatever is popping up from an innovative perspective, but do you have the tech stack? Do you have the knowledge? And also, do you have the network? in order to be as agile and effective as the market is moving into. I think that's very important. So assess where you are with your company and uh, you can do that with your advisory firms around you. You can do that mm. with your payment pro processes and providers. I think that's very important. Educate yourself as a merchant, uh, what is important and what is less important. So prioritize. And I'm a big fan of doing the basics brilliantly, right? So. Uh, a big fan of uh, how future-proof is my is my tech stack, how future-proof is the platform I run with my different providers. In other words, how does my ecosystem look, you know? And then you have all these different types of shopping platforms, 
connect it to your CRM, to connect it to your the likes of Salesforce, to your uh, logistics distribution, if you are working in products rather than in services. But it's also very important to see how you uh, and your ecosystem can connect to uh, marketplace platforms with the likes of Miracle, for example, you know, or or subscription engines like the Zuoras and and and, and others, you know, uh, the the Chargebees, the Vindicias, etc. I think those mass, yeah, there's a big landscape to explore, isn't it? And, uh, yeah, and 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 then again, uh, as uh, as a merchant, I would say build a strategy which is based on okay, this is a consumer group. This is their consumer behavior, their payments behavior. How do I future-proof that with the right payment mix? With uh, you know, also looking at where we see that new merchant group going. Uh, also think about consumer acquisition, but also uh, how do I make sure that I keep that consumer in from a loyalty perspective, increase mm. customer lifetime value, because increase customer lifetime cycle in order to you know increase the basket. Make sure that this customer becomes more and more loyal with all different kinds of and cross sell. I think that's very important also um, for for merchants as such. It's more and more about profitability, of course, and it's more and more about uh, being being sustainable financially. It's not only about growth anymore. That means that more and more of our merchants also look at what can I do in order to up and cross sell to my existing customer book. That requires also different payment types because if you could do more on the recurring side, if you could do more on you know the loyalty side of uh, of things with payment types, then you see that um, that consumers tend to buy more, and that's interesting. You know that 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 mix on one hand of wanting to be innovative, having the right payment stack, but also do the basics brilliantly. I think that's very important. Awesome, uh, Wilco. I think we start wrapping up there. I think it's been fantastic uh, discussions, awesome insights there from you. Thank you so much. And I do hope we get the chance to speak again on the podcast. But um, maybe you can just share with the audience how they can kind of reach out to you, get in contact with you. Yeah, sure. So um, um, they can uh, they can reach out to me via LinkedIn, Wilco Slabakorn, uh, or um, they can uh, they can reach me by uh, by email. That's Vilko W I L C O dot Slubacorn at checkout dot com. Perfect. Well, thank you very much again. See you soon. Thank you. Bye bye. Thanks for listening, and I hope you enjoyed today's episode. To hear more interviews, please do subscribe on Apple, Spotify, or your podcast platform of choice. It helps and means a lot. Also, I welcome any questions, ideas or suggestions, so feel free to make contact and say hello. Reach out to me on LinkedIn or at edgardunn.com. You can send me a message there or you can email me on martin.coderish at edgardunn.com. I look forward to hearing from you and I will see you next time.